Listener Production. So, Rihanna, if I say the word mould, how does it make you feel? Makes me think back to the great moulding incident of 2022. (laughs) The one we're all still living through on the east coast of Australia? That is correct. The same one, yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a shocking year for rain and flooding. So when you look at the hardest hit areas, Lismore had its biggest flood ever, as far as records go, in February, only to be followed up by a second one in April that was amongst the previous records. In southwest Sydney, they had their biggest flood in 30 years in March, and then this week's flood was even higher. And in Brisbane, where you are, the February flood did three times more damage than the 2011 floods, which hadn't been matched since 1974. So it begs the big, obvious, but very important question, is this climate change? Sadly, the the science was telling us, and it's been warning for a long period of time now, that these extreme weather events uh, would happen more often and be more intense. So in this briefing, is Albo right? What role has climate change played in the flood horror of the last six months? First, here are today's headlines. Tom Tilley and Rihanna Patrick with you. This is The Briefing. It's Friday, July 8th. Big news out of the UK. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has resigned. I know that there will be many people who are relieved and uh, perhaps quite a few who will also be disappointed. And I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world. But them's the breaks. So there it is. After months and months of scandals and a very damaging leadership poll last month, Boris Johnson has fallen on his own sword. The rot really started with his handling of those illegal lockdown parties and then the final blow this week was Johnson lying about the appointment of a man. He said he knew nothing about uh, sexual assault allegations related to this guy, but um, turns out he did. Yeah, then this week, the Finance and Health Secretary stood down from the Cabinet, uh, which came after more than 50 other Conservatives quit the Johnson administration. Yeah, so that's it for Boris Johnson. I would sort of, um, I guess, looking from an Australian perspective, say he was a very entertaining but shambolic Prime Minister, um, came to office after ousting Theresa May in 2019 off the back of his campaign supporting Brexit, and then took the party to a big election win, but then was swamped with COVID, and it seems his own lies which lost him the support of his own party. Rafael Nadal has pulled out of his Wimbledon semi-final against Nick Kyrgios due to injury. As you can imagine if I am here because I have to pull out from the tournament, no? Um, I have been suffering uh, with the pain in the abdominal. I know something uh, that's confirmed. I have um, a tear in the in the muscle, in the abdominal. Yeah, so there's a seven millimetre tear in his abdominal, which is what made it so hard for him to get through that last match. And Rihanna, this means Kyrgios goes straight to the final. Yeah, and the last time an Australian was in the men's singles Wimbledon final was Mark Philippoussis in 2003. And then the last time an Australian won it was the year before that when Leighton Hewitt took it out. Yeah, so this is huge. I mean, what a tournament for Kyrgios, all the twists and turns. And here he is in the final. Um, He'll be up against the winner of Novak Djokovic and Cameron Norrie, the hometown hero there in the UK. And that'll be played on Sunday. Yeah, sad news for Nadal, though, not the way he would have wanted to end. He was halfway to a Grand Slam, which is where you win all four Grand Slams. He won the Oz Open and the French Open, and here he was in Wimbledon looking 
very good, but he's had so many injuries. So there are now big questions whether he'll ever get back to his best before retiring. PM Anthony Albanese is set to face off with Russian President Vladimir Putin if he meets him at the G20 summit in November. He's given an indication of how he plans to treat Putin. With the uh, contempt uh, that uh, he deserves. Anthony Albanese on Sky News there, so not as strong as Tony Abbott's promise to shirt front the Russian president over the downing of MH17, but you get the idea. It's expected that they'll meet on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Bali in November. Today, the G20 foreign ministers will meet in Bali and it's expected Penny Wong will meet her Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov. And she said that she'll tell him that Russia's actions in Ukraine are illegal and immoral. It's also expected she's going to meet her Chinese counterpart there today and it's the first ministerial level meeting between Australia and China since 2019. James Kahn, the actor best known for portraying Sonny Corleone in The Godfather, has died overnight. He was 82. His family tweeted the news, it is with great sadness that we inform you of the passing of Jimmy on the evening of July 6. Yeah, they went on to say the family appreciates the outpouring of love and heartfelt condolences and ask that you continue to respect their privacy during this time. Sad news. Oh, really sad. I'm very sad about this one, uh, Tom, because I was introduced to James Kahn in Rollerball uh, from 1975 before The Godfather. And I'll be honest, I only tuned in because it was roller skating, but it was a, it's a super violent film, um, but I loved every minute of it. <laughs> and what did you love about him? He's just a great actor. And I mean, I loved him in Misery. Um, he's so funny um, in Elf as well with Will Farrell. He, he was just such a versatile actor. Um, and there's just, I don't know, there was just something as a kid that spoke to me. The world record for the largest nutbush dance has been smashed in Outback Queensland. So 4,084 people took part in a big nutbush at the Birdsville Big Red Bash, knocking down the previous record of 2,800 at the festival last year. And they raised $60,000 for the Royal Flying Doctor Service doing it. This sounds like quite a party, the Big Red Bash, Rihanna. It really does. And it's a huge outback party, three days long, 11,000 people, loads of bands. And this time around, Jimmy Barnes, Casey Chambers, um, and someone I think you're really happy to see back on the circuit, uh, Tom, a bit of Bachelor Girl headlining the festival. Buses and trains. I mean, imagine how much the place lit up. I'm sure the Nutbush moment was huge, but when Bachelor Girl dropped their biggest hit, Buses and Trains, it must have really blown the place up. Yeah, I once had a doctor tell me that he knew of someone who snapped an Achilles doing the nutbush at a wedding and from there on in after that story, I've always stretched before doing it. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, we got a great message from a listener about our interview on One Three Yarn yesterday. Oh, fantastic. Sarah Maddock, thank you so much for this message via our Instagram direct messages. Just listen to the episode on One Three Yarn and I've been learning about Aboriginal health centres and I'm thinking First Nations people should be designing all of our health services. The approach sounds so much more holistic and caring than some of our existing services. What do you make of that? Look, I think we'd be up for it. <laughs> <laughs> With Rihanna um, Patrick as CEO of the Australian Health Service, totally informed by traditional practices. Sounds good. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd pass it on to people who do work in that sector. <laughs> All right, we're just about to move on to talk climate change and the recent flooding.
We can't say that every single event is because of climate change. What we can say, though, is that the events are occurring more frequently and with greater intensity. So that was the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, touring the flood-ravaged suburbs of southwest Sydney this week. And unlike his predecessor, Scott Morrison, he clearly had no hesitation in linking the recent floods to climate change. So let's fact check what he said and find out exactly why we've seen so much flooding on the East Coast in the last six months and what role the changing climate plays. Jason Evans is a professor at the Climate Change Research Centre at the University of New South Wales. Jason, thanks for joining us. Is what Anthony Albanese said accurate? To a large extent, that is accurate, yeah. Um, There's really two main ways that global warming is impacting individual events that are happening. One is we often refer to as the thermodynamic effect, and that is as you warm the atmosphere, it's able to hold more moisture. So then if you have a rain event in an atmosphere that's holding more moisture, you're likely to get more rain. So it's increasing the severity of our rainfall events. And that effect is kind of ubiquitous. It's occurring everywhere around the globe because we're warming the whole world. The second effect is varies much more by region and by the particular time period you're looking at. And that is how these global warming related changes are impacting the atmospheric circulation. And those circulation changes have much more sort of uncertainty associated with them. In some cases, it's very clear. You can see exactly how the circulation is changing because of global climate change. But in other cases, it's much harder to differentiate the climate change effect on the circulation from other variability things that are happening in the climate, like ENSO, for instance. Okay, so you've highlighted two things there, the increasing moisture in the atmosphere because of a rising climate and the change in circulation of weather events. So can you link that to the situation we've been facing here in Australia where we've seen a double La Nina? So La Nina, that's part of the natural variability of the climate system. So we've had many La Ninas in the past. So the fact that we had a La Nina wasn't particularly special. But of course, the impact of this one has been much bigger than most of the La Ninas that we've experienced over previous decades. And part of the reason that impact's been much more is that we've seen this La Nina produce a lot more rain compared to similar La Ninas that we've had in the past. So, And that is part of the first effect that I was talking about. We've warmed the atmosphere, there's more moisture in the atmosphere than there was before. So the same kind of event now produces more rain than that kind of event would have produced a few decades back when that globe was cooler. So that's part of why we're seeing big impacts from from these La Ninas compared to previous ones. The other effect around changes in circulation, the atmospheric circulation or weather systems that have been happening um, in this first part of the year for New South Wales particularly have been the sort of systems that have been very conducive to high rainfall. In many cases, they've been very slow-moving systems, so the rainfall has been very consistent over Mm. one area. And when you get heavy rain that's persistent over one area, that's when we get the big flooding events that we've been seeing. La Nina itself is certainly playing a role. In general, they're conducive to more rainfall, and global warming is certainly playing a role. The atmosphere is warmer, so when we do get rainfall, we get even more than we might have otherwise gotten. Another thing that's been really interesting or unusual about this first part of the year for the east coast of Australia is that the East Australian current, which brings warm tropical waters down from the north all the way down towards Tasmania, has been unusually strong 
off New South Wales for pretty much all of the first part of this year. And even today, we've had unusually warm waters off the coast of New South Wales. So even today, we have water off the coast of New South Wales, sort of not far from Sydney, where we're about three degrees warmer than normal. And that's adding to the moisture in the atmosphere as well, particularly for rainfall along the coast. So Jason, are those warm waters, I mean, is that climate related? So this is also related to climate change. So when you look at the projections for climate change, one of the hotspot areas for fastest warming ocean waters is off the southeast coast of Australia in the, in the Tasman Sea. That's related to some strengthening of the East Australian current. It gets a bit complicated off the coast of New South Wales because part of the current splits off and heads towards New Zealand and part of the current produces these large ocean eddies, so rotating parts of the ocean that capture warm water and continue travelling south towards Tasmania. So you get these large warm eddies being shed and travelling south. What's been particularly unusual for this period is that some of these eddies have been really slow moving or even stagnant off the New South Wales coast and haven't been moving south as quickly as we might usually see. And that's led to this really warm anomaly off New South Wales. So Jason, this year there's been a high frequency of flooding in Lismore and southwest Sydney. I mean, is that frequency of flooding actually unprecedented when you consider that Lismore has seen other clusters of floods in the 1960s and also around the 1890s? What does that mean from a science point of view? It's a bit hard to say with great certainty that they're unprecedented because when we're looking back to the 60s and certainly earlier, um, we just don't have the observations to say with certainty that what we're seeing in, in the recent months has been definitely worse than anything that has happened before. But at the very least, what we've seen is amongst the most severe flooding that's been seen, that's for sure. And we know that from the observational record. What's probably been really unusual this year is the frequency of the rainfall events that have come through. So we've kind of had flood causing events come through with only a few weeks break in between a few times in the first part of this year. And that frequency is quite unusual in the record. Yeah, it's very hard to interpret, I think, for a lot of people following the news, um, partly because of the way the news work. Literally, by the definition, it implies that what it's reporting is new or unprecedented. That's what news means. And you put that against the backdrop of the broader climate concern. Do you think it creates a recipe for implying events are unprecedented and climate change related when that's not necessarily true? I'm not sure that the news is always trying to imply things are unprecedented. Certainly things that are unusual are news. And certainly the flooding that we're seeing is, is unusual. Lismore, as a case in point, this flooding has only happened a handful of times in, in people's lifetimes. I think the fact that they had really severe flooding that was almost this bad just over a decade ago is a real shock to the system for people up there because that was previously thought to be sort of a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. And, and now you've got people that are, are seeing it multiple times every decade. And that's just enough time to rebuild and get comfortable. And then you see the same level of damage caused by a, a similarly severe or even more severe event. Part of it is also, of course, that we're a very industrious 
species and we like building things. By the time the next event comes around, we've built more structures and infrastructure that gets damaged during these big events. Okay, and what should we expect in the coming months? Do you think these intense rain events are going to peter out or are we potentially facing a third La Nina? The forecast produced by the global um, meteorological organisations are, are more or less split between staying in the neutral conditions through the rest of the year or going back into a third La Nina. Now, if we go back into a third La Nina, that's a really unusual event in the record. We've had several double La Ninas before, so two years in a row with La Nina, but not really three. So if that happens, that would be a very notable event for climate. Given the state of a lot of the ground right now in terms of being very wet already because of how much rain we've had, that would give us a very high probability of of further flooding events, I, I would suggest. So if there is a triple La Nina, and I go back to the start of your interview where you said the circulation of weather events is is harder to pin on climate change, whereas the increasing moisture was easier to pin on climate change. Yep. If we get the third La Nina, will you then say that that high circulation is due to climate change? Will that make the case even stronger? You'd have to do a study to, to try and quantify that kind of effect. As I said, a third La Nina in a row, that's a really unusual thing. That rarity does suggest that there may be something else that's impacting and driving the La Nina. Whether or not that can be linked directly to climate change, we'd have to see. We'd have to do a proper quantitative study to try and nail that down. But what it certainly will mean is that we'll be back into a similar situation we were early this year where we have large-scale conditions that are conducive to more rain. We're in a warmer atmosphere, so if we get that rain, it's likely to be heavier than it was before, and the ground's already saturated. So that's another major factor when we're talking about flooding. So that probably puts a high risk of flooding later in the year if we go back into La Nina. That was Jason Evans, Professor at the Climate Change Research Centre at the Uni of New South Wales, and he was great. I think we learnt a lot, Rihanna, partly just explaining what's happened, that the flooding's being caused by... Firstly, the the long La Nina of last year being followed up by the second La Nina, which was exacerbated by the extra warm currents off the East Coast. And wow, if we get a third La Nina, oh boy, it's not going to be good, is it? No. All right, tomorrow the weekend briefing will drop into your podcast feed. Jamila, who have you got on this week? I have chatted to Dr. Neela Janakiramanan, who is a surgeon based in Melbourne, who Well, boy, it's an understatement to say she's had a tough couple of years, right? Uh, She and her colleagues. We also kind of go backwards, I suppose, and talk about how you train the best doctors and whether the way we choose and train doctors in this country is the best. And one of the reasons that we reflect on that is that Neela has a brand new novel uh, that is all about a surgeon in training and whew, it's a wild world. It's a really good app, particularly if you're interested in medicine, in doctors and what's been happening over the last couple of years in our hospitals. All right, that is your weekend briefing. Uh, a massive thank you to our hardworking team here at The Briefing and a huge thank you to you as well for listening to The Briefing. Uh, we'll be back next week. I'm taking a week off. I'll be presenting Today Extra on Channel 9. So you can catch me there, but the team will take you through all the big stories of the week next week and I'll be back the week after. Listener.